0: Now, let's get started. Can we have each of you introduce yourselves? Uh, And we'll start this way. We'll be alphabetically this time. Thereafter, each question will be mixed up so that you're not answering the same order. So, Giovanni.
1: So, we do, uh, sorry, Sorry, we do the, uh, is it like a three-minute intro?
0: Two-minute intro.
1: Uh, sorry. Anyway, I'm Giovanni. I'm going to read mine just because I forget things. I get nervous. So uh, I've lived in the ward for 33 years. Uh, I was born at Hôtel dieu went to St. Andrews, Brennan. I and graduated from the University of Windsor in geography with earth science and uh, urban planning focus. Then I went to Sir Sanford Fleming College where I reserved my, received my cartography map making certificate. My education played a key role in municipal experience. Upon graduating, I was hired as a Urban Watershed Planner at the Coarth Region Conservation Authority where I identified and protected hundreds of hectares of wetlands, woodlots, and shorelines. I reviewed development proposals and planning policies. I was a member of the Flood Forecasting and Emergency Response Team and Rehabilitated Streams and Wildlife Habitats. Uh, my My experience is vital to protect key habitats for flood mitigation, climate resilience, and species biodiversity. We also need a strong voice to combat, strong mayor legislation, that may see habitats like the South Cameron wetland threatened. It's great to protect the Ojibwe shores, but one fire, disease, or insect can wipe that out. We need to protect more. I also bring waste management experience. I have worked at landfills, recycling plants, and composting facilities. I understand the operations and best management practices to divert waste and create revenue from organics. This will be important in this term because Council, the province, is legislating banning organics from landfills. I was intramural sports coordinator at Sir Sandford Fleming College working with the municipal recreation departments and I understand the value of keeping more amenities like 80 knots pools open for residents and students. I participated in studies that focused on active and public transportation as well as tourism tourism, uh, proposals. Uh, I don't wait until elections to speak up for residents. I fought to keep the hospitals close to where residents live now. Not enough floodplains run by vacant farm fields and industrial lands. I fought to keep the pools at 80 knots, and I fought to get moderately sized eco passages at Ojibwe, not these multi-million dollar legacy projects. This isn't Banff. Um, so yeah, so uh, I also will be uh, open and uh, accessible. I'll quit my job if I get hired as a counselor, so I can focus fully on residents' concerns. And I, I'm an independent John. thinker.
2: Absolutely. Yes. can you bring
3: mics real you guys? Did
0: you hear that? We're going to have them bring the mics closer to their mouths. Hey
4: everybody, my name is Mark McKenzie. Uh, thank you so much for Friends of 80 Knox for putting on this amazing event. and Thank you for uh, all of you for showing up tonight. So uh, I spent 17 years on local radio. In 2020, uh, Bell Media went through some restructuring and I was uh, caught up in uh, layoffs. 15 of us were all laid off. So uh, after that, I became a realtor. I am a uh, third generation, word for resident, born, raised, still live in South Walkerville, uh, proud husband and father. And I have sat on numerous boards and I still sit on uh, the board of directors at Easter Seals Windsor Essex. And I've uh, hosted their on-air telethon since 2016. Uh, assisted in raising millions of dollars for local charitable organizations, and uh, I'm also the founder of the South Walkerville Residents Association. Uh, I'm running because I want to be a full-time city councillor. I want to make people's lives better and more affordable. Uh, you know, I've been knocking on doors since July, and I've spoken to thousands of residents, and the one thing I've heard from everybody is uh, we need life to be more affordable, and, uh, and, and that's why I'm running, to make life more affordable and make the quality of life for every Ward 4 resident and every city of Windsor resident uh, better. You know, as a realtor, I have the knowledge of city bylaws and uh, taxes and zoning and development, and I know firsthand the, uh, the issue with affordable housing and how to fix that. I fully support the transit master plan. Uh, I believe that no one should have to worry about, you know, how they're going to get to school, work, or a medical appointment. And I believe in safe neighborhoods and low taxes, uh, close neighborhood amenities, and uh, most of all, transparency and accountability at City Hall. So uh, I'm running to give you a voice. I believe that uh, we, you know, haven't had a voice for all residents uh, over the past decade or so. Uh, so that's another reason I'm running. I think that we, you know, work for you. And if elected, I will be your full-time city councillor, and I will work for you. And I hope that I can count on your vote when you go to the polls on Monday. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Matt? Thank you.
5: Can you hear me in the back? Is that- Hi, my name is Matt Marchand, I'm running to be your Ward 4 counselor. I've been a proud resident of Ward 4 for 25 years. Many of you know I spent 12 years in Mike Kerr's office. During that time, we brought in Ontario's first casino to Windsor, removed the train tracks from the waterfront, tore down the Peabody Bridge, kept taxes low, and opened up Walkerville for investment. Many of you also know I was President and CEO of the Windsor-Essex Chamber of Commerce for six years where I received an unprecedented five awards from the Ontario Chamber for community leadership and performance excellence. In 2018, I ran for mayor and presented a platform that included the Auditor General, fixing the Dougal death trap, pilot projects for protected bike lanes, NACS alone for police officers, and eliminating the $15 million pedestrian underpass These are just a few of the many platforms that were adopted over the the past four years by the current council. All of that was accomplished without me being elected. Imagine what we could do together if I were elected. No one else has my proven professional leadership and community experience in helping this great city. No one else has firsthand experience of how City Hall works. No one else has my proven track record of success. No one else will have knocked on every door. I can hit the ground running. Our entire platform is available at votemartian.com. Thank you. Thank you.
6: Jake.
7: Thanks, Lyndon. Thank you. Is the mic on? All right. Check. Uh, My name is is Jake Rondo. I'll speak right into it. My name is Jake Rondo. Um, I've I've, uh, been on... Resident in the ward since nineteen seventy nine, on and off.
0: I've put you on pause. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't only being live streamed. We put Windsor Speakeasy puts it on a podcast, so it's available after the fact.
7: Check. All right. Action. Um, so my name is Jake Rondo. I've been in the ward since 1979. Uh, I went to King Edward. Went to Walkerville. Uh, a Proud Ward uh, Four resident. Uh, and, and I and I'm running because I, I know I have the experience and the passion to get done what well, what you all want to get done in this ward. I would, I'm a representative of, I would be a representative of, I don't, don't know. <laughs> Is it my wire? No. Hello? Alright. Um. Want me to just switch with Matt? <laughs> Okay, so um, I, well, what's important is you're going to see from the, there's eight of us running. Uh, there are only five here today, but but there are eight of us running, and I think what's important for you to understand is how to differentiate. It's not easy to get to, to go to the poll and vote on, uh, on Monday with a good decision to be an informed voter on how you're going to vote, especially because a number of us share the same ideas. Um, streets and parks, uh, you know, I neighborhood really literally over the past fifteen years ago, very different 15 years ago than than it does now. Um, So I'm I've been very proud of that work because of that work. Got to be me. Check, check, check. All right, that's better. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if I've been how many times I've been paused, but <laughs> on and off. No worries. Don't don't worry about it. technical difficulties. Um, it's it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of this uh, campaign. There's I'm, I'm honored, frankly, to to be alongside so many great candidates. I think you have excellent choices in this ward. Uh, I, I would encourage you to to be an informed voter to consider. Um, from your perspective, who you think it is who go- is going to be able to deliver the most for the ward as quickly as possible? Because we have a lot to get done, and we can't afford uh two- or three-year learning process at City Hall. And it takes it's a bear down there, and it takes a long time to get comfortable. It's taken me a decade to get comfortable down there, to meet the people I need to meet uh, and build those relationships. And, and so when it comes to traffic calming and fixing our parks and getting the skunk program back and uh, funding, uh, uh, you know, key initiatives that, that we're all interested in funding, uh, you know, I know how to kick-start those things, how to work through council, how to work through the process to, to be able to get those things going, and I've done that already. I've brought, uh, uh, you know, uh, millions of dollars in funding to Walkerville, and I'd like to do the same to the rest of the ward. Uh, so thank you.
2: Thank you.
8: <laughs> Patrick. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming out tonight. Really appreciate it. My name is Patrick Sutherland, and I want to be your next city councillor, Ward 4. Let me tell you about myself. I've lived in Ward 4 my whole life. I went to Walkerville, went to the University of Windsor. I am presently an IT customer consultant and a professional disc jockey. As I was talking to Dana, who is from the Wyandotte Town Centre, sorry, BIA, last night, she said, so you've been a disc jockey across Wyandotte? And I said, yes. She says, well, where? And I mentioned some of the older places. She, she said, well, you've outlived every single, every single bar and tavern in Ward 4. And I said, yes, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> that must be kind of tough. Why do I want to be your city councillor? And I'll tell you why. I received a letter from the grade 5 class in Begley. And they said, Mr. Sutherland, we need your help. We don't feel safe when we're walking home from school. We don't have anywhere to play after school. We used to play at Waterworld, but it's no longer safe there. Will you help us? Now, my son went to Begley, and I also was a disc jockey at the community center, and so I say to the kids at Begley, yes, I will help you, and yes, I will lay my life down for you. And I've run into a lot of other men and women they feel the same way. I just ran into a gentleman yesterday, and he was affiliated. He knows the whole ins and outs of um, drug trafficking across Canada. And he had a couple great suggestions. He said, the only thing we can do is bring the death penalty back. They will not stop until the penalty is so great that we outbully them and we, we win this war. So I say to you, no more, no more overdoses, no more deaths, and no more funerals. And that is why I'm running. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Now, for the first question to... I'm doing this the... Giovanni. As a counselor, your duties will be to represent the residents in your ward, yet in many motions that will be put forward to you will concern wards other than your own. Sometimes there's even a competitive element between counselors. How knowledgeable are you regarding issues in other wards and how will you manage possible differing needs?
1: Uh, Can you hear me, is this okay? So I'm well aware of the issues in all the wards, because, uh, I mean, the pool isn't... 80 knots pool isn't a Ward 4 issue. Um, I find that uh, every issue relates to the city. When we benefit one ward, we benefit all. And I uh, I'll be open to listening to all the issues. I'll do my homework. As I said, I'm going to quit my job and focus entirely on council. So I'll be listening to... I'll be meeting with constituents. I plan on having two of town halls a month, uh, so I can meet with people to discuss the issues. And I, I watch council meetings. Um, I find at this point, it's kind of secretive. A lot of things that go on, you don't find about, find out about issues till the Friday before the meetings. Um, I'll be posting all the agendas on on my website so people can be aware of what's going on ahead of time. And, um, as I said, I, I, I follow council now. So, I mean, I fought for the eco-passages. That's not Ward for um, everything we do in the community. The money comes out of one pocket. So um, I, I just think we need to work collaboratively, co- collaboratively with the community, with council, and with city administration. I have ideologies that may not go with my constituents, but I'm there to fight for the constituents. So whatever's best for the community is what I'll be focusing on.
4: Hello? Hello. So, uh, do, sure, do you um, want me to repeat the question? Oh,
1: no, 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 okay.
4: Thank uh, you. Um, I, I think it's, it's no surprise to to, to anybody uh, the divide that's happening uh, on City Council, not just the past four years, uh, but honestly go, going back the past decade and more. Um, and and unfortunately, it seems as though we've always kind of been stuck in the middle, and, and the divide doesn't really help anybody, uh, right? We need a city councillor who's going to work with all sides, with all councillors and whoever the mayor is going to be. Uh, We need to listen to issues from all residents around the city because, again, we're all in this together, right? And uh, we all want an affordable life for everybody. I think that's one thing that we can agree on is that, you know, we need to make life more affordable. We need to increase everybody's uh, quality of life as well, right? Uh, People are struggling right now. Inflation's at an all-time high. So we need to just look out for everybody and work together for the greater good, right? The thing about Ward 4 that is unique is that it's not like some of the other wards where there's one or two key issues that affect the whole ward. Uh, Ward 4 has so many unique neighborhoods and communities. Uh, You know, the issues that affect South Walkerville don't necessarily uh, reflect Old Walkerville or even this area here. And then, you know, you get into uh, around the Glengarry area as well. All our communities have unique needs, And we need to address all of those. And that's one of the great things, again, about Ward 4 is that there are so many uh, unique communities. And it kind of gives us a view of everything that the entire city is dealing with. Um, So I think that's why Ward 4 is is honestly the most important ward because we're dealing with all the issues that everybody's seeing. Uh, You know, rats around here and uh, clean parks. Uh, in South Walkerville, Memorial Park, you know, we're finding needles and, uh, and, and homeless people living in the park, which is unsafe for them. Um, and, and, you know, these are the things that we need to address at City Council. And I don't think those are just necessarily ward issues. Those are citywide issues that we're seeing everywhere. Homelessness and crime. Those are issues that we're seeing all over the city. And we need to work together to, uh, to fix all of those issues. Thank you. Thank you. Hello?
0: Hello? Patrick. Patrick.
8: The question again, please. Absolutely.
0: As a counselor, your duties will be to represent the residents in your ward, yet, many motions put before you will concern other wards. Sometimes there's even a competitive component between wards. How knowledgeable are you regarding issues in other wards, and how will you manage possible differing needs?
8: Well, luckily, uh, quite a few of my jobs, whether it was being a disc jockey or a video jockey, or event planner, or sports convener. I was at many of the different fields, community centers, and so forth. So I do have a great knowledge of this city. First, I would take care of Ward 4, the community centers, anything to do with the families and the children. And then, I would vote in the best interest of whatever ward there was. Um, Yes, there's gonna be a competitive nature. I would go to my voters, see what they would support, and I would uh, make my decision based on that. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Jake. You can try it again if it doesn't work.
0: I feel like you are
7: I got metrics. This one's worked. Thank you. Um, yeah, great question, and, and I appreciate that it came up, and I think it comes up for the you know some of the reasons uh, Mark pointed out as well, some of the division that we've had at council. And uh, I've been in the middle of that for the past 15 years, uh, being sort of uh, between uh, um, councillors just trying to get done everything I could get done for Walkerville, uh, being chair of the BIA. And so I, for me, I've been a collaborative uh, uh, volunteer collaborative worker that's how that's how I, that's how I work professionally that's how I've uh, worked as a volunteer and I've been able to get beyond those you know, egos uh, to, and to focus on solutions and stay solutions oriented and I think that that's vitally important I do think we need a lot more of that at council I think probably everyone recognizes that in the room and at this table uh, it, it would be good to move to a, to a place where we're as a council looking to build consensus around the table consistently. So collaborative work together to come to the same solutions collectively so that, you know, and you're not voting 10-0 every time, but for the most part, the issues that are endemic to the whole city are the big complex problems that everybody's talking about at the doors that we've we've all been hearing, you know, uh, drug addiction, mental illness uh, issues. Rodent issues, traffic, uh, uh, speeding, traffic calming issues. Those are issues across the city, and and it will take a council to work together to tackle those things. That was your. That was yours, not mine. <laughs> so, um, it, that I, I'm comfortable working like that. I have worked like that. I've delivered uh, uh, already. A, you know, revitalization in a neighborhood, working be, between those uh, things and getting votes on my side and working around. And it's we're, when you're at City Hall, it's not just about getting. Uh, votes at the council table. It's about having relationships at city hall with, with the bureaucracy as well. So, uh, do you have relationships in planning and engineering and public works and, and parks and recs so that you have people working on side towards the same vision? And So, so that collaboration needs to happen and I think a, another good example of that is and, and a particular personal interest, sorry for taking extra long, is Uh, making sure we have a solid relationship between the downtown BIA and City Hall because we all agree we need a better downtown and it's going to take really strong collaboration to do that.
6: Thank you. (laughs) Matt.
0: (laughs) Let's play past the mic. absolutely as a counselor your duties will be to represent the residents in your ward yet many motions put before you will concern wards other than your own sometimes there's even a competitive component between wards how knowledgeable are you regarding issues in other wards and how will you manage possible differing needs
5: thanks for the question I Arguably uniquely qualified for this, I ran for mayor in 2018, got nearly 20,000 votes across the city. In order to get 20,000 votes, you have to understand the issues citywide. So that's the first thing. Second thing, I was president and CEO of the Windsor-Essex Regional Chamber of Commerce. So in addition to that, I know the issues from a business perspective uh, across the city as well. Thirdly, I spent 12 years in the mayor's office. So all of that to and fro among counselors, trying to build consensus, trying to get... Uh, people on board for this issue, people on board for that issue. Arguably, I have the most unique, unique, and qualifying uh, experience in that respect. And interesting enough, in order to get stuff past the city council, you have to be knowledgeable of what's going on in other people's wards. I've campaigned, when I campaigned for mayor in 2018, some of those people are on council right now. Those relationships are pre existing. Some people in this room may have been with me when I was on the campaign trail in 2018 with some of those counselors. So, The relationships are there, the experience is there, 20,000 votes in 2018 across the city. I'm uniquely qualified to to, uh, have knowledge of all the issues affecting the city. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I was remiss, and I didn't tell you, that the three individuals who are not here today all extended their apologies that they couldn't make it that's important because later on if somebody didn't i'd say so <laughs> next question and this has actually come up in some of your discussion with the other question but much has been said about the lack of transparency in our existing city government can you speak to that and perhaps offer an example and if elected what would you do to ensure that council and windsor's management activities are indeed transparent
2: Mark.
4: Yeah, transparency and accountability at City Hall. Is, uh, hello. Transparency and accountability at City Hall is uh, uh, one of the key platform measures that I've said from, from day one, and that's one of the big complaints that I'm hearing at the door is that people are saying, you know, we we don't have any transparency or accountability at City Hall. You know, people go back to the Auditor General and all of that as well. Um, but one thing that I definitely would do is set up quarterly meetings with a as well as a forum like a residence advocacy group where you can kind of uh, say, all right, here's our plan for, you know, this quarter, here's what we're going to achieve, and then the next meeting, you can, you can then say, okay, well, here's what we achieved over, you know, the past three or four months, and these are things that maybe we didn't achieve, and here's why we didn't achieve them, right? Because I think everybody just wants to kind of be in the know. They want to know what's happening and why things go a certain way and why things go another way, Right? Um, And everybody just wants to be kept in the loop on things and unfortunately it seems that there's so much secrecy at City Hall right now and many closed-door meetings and we need to try to stop that we need more communication with residents again We got to get more residents involved Uh, I've even thrown around the idea of you know If I'm elected, I would love to have some of these people sitting here with me uh, on an advisory board I think we all have great ideas. We're all from different parts of of the ward And it would be great to just get ideas from other people in the city as well as uh, residents as well. So I think that's one way to uh, try to bring transparency and accountability to uh, City Hall. And again, it's just talking to residents, being open. I've given my cell phone number out to thousands of residents. And it's on every flyer that I've handed out. I say, here's my personal cell phone number. Call me. Like, this is my number. And some people have said I'm crazy for doing that. Um, (laughs) But I don't care. I want you to call me. If I'm elected, I want to be accessible I will answer any question, and uh, that's why I'm giving up my cell phone number. And again, transparency and accountability at City Hall, uh, from day one I've been saying that is one of the most important things that uh, needs to happen. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Jake, would you like me to repeat the question? No. Cool. Okay. <laughs>
7: yeah. All, right. All right, we got a live one. Okay, it's working. Right? All right. Uh, Yeah, uh, another great question, and I think, you know, Mark's pointed out uh, very well some of of the key issues there. We have actually an excellent advocate for uh, transparency at City Hall in the room here, Howard Weeks. um, I'm I'm in favor of, if he's still here, I am absolutely in favor of the Auditor General position. I I do think that we are lacking uh, some... Some um, review of the the, the decision making process, and I would like to see a position in place that will allow us to gain some insight into how some of the uh, behind closed doors decisions are made. I have been privy to some of those, and and uh, and I think uh, the residential uh, the residents should be as well. I love the idea of. Town hall meetings, I, I host them regularly in Walkerville, open meetings with everyone. I communicate openly. I would, accessibility is absolutely key. Um, I can't agree more. So, you know, in the same sense, I would be accessible to residents 24-7. But a, a big part of the issue is accessibility and readability of content. And so much of the decision-making uh, process and information that comes out of City Hall is is sort of, is available but is, very difficult to find it's buried in very long reports and you know and the the average person is not going to go read a 400 page planning report to find out you know a particular point of, uh, of emphasis on one property near them so I think it's incumbent on a counselor to take that and, and translate it for their ward uh, you know here just bullet point it here's what's happening at City Hall here's what happened at this meeting here are the key things that you know this is why this property decision was made this is why you know we vote we voted in favor of funding the new vision zero uh, traffic calming measures and and so that that uh, in in academic world they call that knowledge transfer so knowledge transfer process taking the information and making it readable and relatable to everyone so that everyone knows what's happening at council
6: thank you
0: Giovanni.
1: All right, So, yeah, so I look at it, there's two aspects to this. One is the city hall transparency, and one is us as councillors. So I agree as well with, uh, I mean, I was, when I ran four years ago, Howard Weeks was pushing the independent auditor general, and I supported it then, and I still support it, so we can find out how and why we're spending our money and where it's going and why we're spending so much as opposed to maybe getting more, um, like, uh, contracts or, or um, applications for for different uh, um, jobs or or, uh, amenities. So I I find it rather sad that now when you go to a council meeting, they always start late because they have these closed door meetings. You don't know what they're discussing. It seems like the councillors already have their minds made up before you go in there. It doesn't matter what kind of information and experience you have or data you have to go against an issue. They they seem to ignore it because they're already predetermined uh, on what they want to say and and how they're going to decide as well as the surveys that the city gives out are very manipulative related to the pools. Everyone wanted a pool and the survey the city gave out didn't even have the option for a pool in the survey. They had everything else from, you know, tea rooms and music rooms and, and gyms, but they didn't have anything with the pool when the pool's what the people wanted. Same with the hospital location. They didn't even ask people that live in more two or three where they wanted the hospital just to manipulate the answer so they can focus and get the, you know everyone to get in the direction that they want the results for. Related to personal, I want to have town hall meetings uh, as through Zoom and live meetings. I go to different locations in the ward. every. I do two, one on a weekend, one on a weekday, night, um, find different locations throughout the ward. That way we can support local, meet at a bar, um, have a drink or a meal, discuss the, the, the meetings, uh, uh, what's going on at council, what's happened, why we decided on what and how we decided on it and to get the input from the residents on the future meetings. Thank you.
8: Check.
0: Do you want me to read the question? Yeah, please. Much has been said about the lack of transparency in our city government. Can you speak to that and perhaps offer an example? If elected, what would you do to ensure that Council and Windsor's management activities are indeed transparent?
8: Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell the truth to you. The reason why things aren't transparent is they don't want you to know what's really going on. Closed-door meetings... If I were elected, I would move to ban them. In a true democracy, we all have the right to know what's going on. If there's nothing to hide, then they can televise exactly what's being said and they can tell us the decisions that are being made. In a 24 hour period, I saw two close to death or murder situations on Tet and Wyandotte. Looked to see if it was on the media nothing some of the friends in me, in the media told me that city council the mayor's office filters what the media is showing to you and the reason why they're doing that is because they don't want you to know how much crime is really going on in this city so if, if i'm elected damn right you're going to make sure things are a lot more transparent you deserve the truth
0: thank you Matt.
5: Are we on? There we go. Okay. Uh, 2018, the centerpiece of my mayoral campaign was transparency and accountability. The Auditor General is the top of the list, but there are some other things too that require transparency. Has anybody looked at the Renwin bill? I mean, you need a PhD to figure that out. I'm still wrestling with that thing. So, yeah. So, th- these were things that were uh, imperative my mayoral campaign. We got the Auditor General uh, implemented right now. I think there's improvement there to be made as well. Um, the other thing I talked about uh, a lot of my mayoral campaign was cost-benefit analysis. You know, we were, we were getting involved in all sorts of things. We were involved in the streetcar with this pedestrian underpass to nowhere, which I was vociferously against, $15 million. And there was no cost-benefit attached to any of these things. Why are we spending $15 million on this project? Why are we doing this and why are we doing that? So part of the, um, the exercise is not, it's transparency of course, is, which is a priority for all the reasons you know it's been discussed. But also when we're doing something, what's the cost and what's the benefit analysis? And make that transparently available to everyone so we can render a judgment in a very uh, open and uh, you know, transparent way. So I'll leave it at that. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Next question apathy has run rampant (coughs) in Windsor it's not just low voting turnout it's general lack of knowledge vis-a-vis what council does and what city administration does what bylaws are in place and recent council activities many residents and surprisingly even some running for council have shown their ignorance of what's going on in the city what would you do if elected to fix this Jake
7: all right well, I I I don't love that question to be honest because we're not um, trying to be nice. Uh, yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> well, I, I think I think in a way it's sort of an affront to the uh, to the citizens of the city, and that's not really fair. I think that uh, the citizens I've spoken with have been engaged and have been knowledgeable and and um, and uh, passionate about the city. Frankly, um, so I would defend them in in that sense. I do understand that voter turnout is low, certainly, and I don't think that's a Windsor thing. I think that's you know, I think that we're we're seeing that across the country, frankly, um, and um, it would be better to see voter turnout higher. Voter turnout, I would love for that uh, for sure. Um, so I wouldn't call the the, the population here apathetic. Um, I would uh, I would say that um, I think we do need better engagement from from council, and I think it's important. Uh, it's incumbent upon a ward councillor to stoke those flames to get people engaged, you know, let's have community events, let's be out there and talking, let's, you know, I I love the idea of coffees in the morning regularly so that we're meeting with neighbors, the town halls, education is key and and there's been part of my campaign I've talked about, can we, you know, educate property owners, like I I have done with business uh, and and commercial building owners in Walkerville, but we need to educate property owners on what SEPTED is, crime prevention through environmental design as a way to help you beautify your alley to make it more safe light it the front of your home you know simple things like making sure your lighting is on your exterior lighting is on so but are we educating that way and I I, another piece I'd call upon uh, uh, I'd like to see a renewal of the neighborhood watch programs and I know Windsor police are interested in doing the same and the key is can we build champions residential champions in our neighborhoods who want to take that on And, and that requires having Windsor police come down let's set up a meeting Engage the community, have them educate on the process, what it is to, to start the neighborhood watch program. We had one; my parents were are, who are here were neighborhood watch people, and we had uh, you know some kids come up to the door as we were uh, when we were young. And so engagement is key. But but uh, but I, I don't, I wouldn't call uh, uh, Windsor citizenship apathetic at all. I think we're pretty pretty you, good people, pretty engaged. You people. didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Would you like me to reread the question?
5: Uh, please. Thank you.
0: Apathy has run rampant in Windsor. It's not just the low voting turnout, it's the general lack of knowledge vis-a-vis what council does versus what city administration does, what bylaws are in place, and recent council activities. Many residents, and surprisingly, even some running for council, have shown their ignorance of not of what's What will you do to fix this?
5: You know, an interesting idea I put forward in 2018 when I ran for mayor was having rotating council meetings in all the wards. So, for example, tonight's meeting, and we have a lot of fine candidates here. uh, Why not have a city council meeting here tonight? Invite the neighbors, uh, invite everyone over, do rotating council meetings in each of the wards, or have, you know, wards one and two at this night. And you're doing some fine work, Linda, having, you know, these debates across the city. Yeah, it's true. So why not bring City Hall, because sometimes you talk to people at the door, you know, City Hall is this kind of building and it's kind of far away and uh, people need to see that they are a part of City Hall. This is, City Hall is a reflection of them. So one way to do that is to bring City Hall to the people. And if you have rotating council meetings in each of the wards, maybe you're going to get some, hey, you know, meet some people, talk about some issues, get them engaged. You know, that's one solution um there are probably others but to me at least that way you're bringing city hall to the people versus um how it sits right now you got to go downtown it's you know you live out somewhere it's it's, some you know building downtown bring city hall to the people Um, the other thing is that voter apathy has been uh, declining for you know what 15 20 years and I really think that sort of an education, whether it starts in, uh, in high school or grade school, but the importance of civic engagement. Uh, it has to be taught early and taught hard and, and reinforced at home as best we can and, and have our education system partner uh, with us to get that done. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Patrick.
8: Now, I like this question. It looks like everybody's missing the boat here. This starts from a young age. My interest in government and politics started in grade nine, right at Walkerville. My teacher, Miss Falls, she taught us the levels of government. She inspired the passion I have for government people and uh, powers that may be. So. When I received a letter from Caitlin Denonville from Begley, and I was mentioning that earlier this evening, I wrote back and I said, I would like to speak to your class or to your school. And then I actually spoke to a friend of mine here and I said, hey, I should go into all the schools and speak to them. It's not allowed during the campaign, but as your city councilor, I would, on a regular basis, go into the school's and teach them and make sure they're inspired about our politics and get the voter turnout to be a much higher number. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Mark.
4: You know, over the past two years, I feel like actually uh, more citizens have, have gotten engaged. I think uh, COVID really made people kind of open up their eyes and, uh, and just kind of get more involved with things that are going on, not just in the city, but the provinces as well as the country. And I think residents, at least from what I'm hearing knocking on on doors for the past few months, is that residents aren't engaged because we're not engaging them. We're not listening to their concerns. Uh, You know, some residents have told me, oh, I, I emailed my counselor, I called my counselor, and they never got back to me. Or, you know, my counselor did get back to me, but uh, he didn't like what I was saying, so then he was very defensive and, and never spoke to me again. Um, and, and that isn't how you're supposed to act as a city councillor. I mean, we work for you. Um, I'm a voice for you. It doesn't matter how I feel. It matters how, how you feel, right? So uh, a lot of residents also are complaining, saying, well, we're not getting a proper return on our investment. I'm, I'm paying these high taxes, uh, but my tree isn't being trimmed. My road has potholes everywhere. We have a huge rat problem that isn't being addressed and I think that's why residents uh, aren't getting engaged as much as we need them to. And I'm hoping that things will change. Again, if we can continue being transparent and, and showing that accountability to residents, I truly believe uh, that we'll, we'll be able to get more residents engaged with City Hall, showing up at City Hall meetings, and uh, actually speaking with us. You know, we got, to, uh, we got to just start respecting the taxpayer. We got to make life more affordable for them, Right. And again, if we can just focus on these services, again, like trimming trees and taking care of rats and getting rid of the crime in their neighborhoods, cleaning up the parks and uh, doing all the things that a city should be doing, plowing the roads when it actually snows and not four days later, uh, I think that we'll finally get residents actually wanting to engage more with us, getting more involved and showing up at the ballot box, you know, um, like this upcoming Monday. So I think those are just some things that we need to do. And again, start investing in those neighborhoods, making them safe, walkable neighborhoods and uh, again, just respecting the taxpayer and actually getting back to them and giving them the answers, uh, whether it's the answer they want to hear or not, at least uh, just give them an answer and say this is why we did this, and and you know, and and that, that's about it. Thank so, you. Thank you.
0: Giovanni, do you want me to reread the question?
2: No, thank
1: you. No, I can screw it up without your help.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, no apathy wise. Uh, I think maybe because this is our third election, and you know we had the federal election and the provincial election, now we have the um, municipal election, although I don't find Ward Four very apathetic, as everyone here probably knows I've knocked on all sorts of doors, and there's very few people that don't want to talk If you if you knock on the door and they come to the door, they actually want to hear because they know there's eight of us running, and they want to hear all of our all of our stances and and everyone here's brought out good points about why there might be some apathy. And I find that, we, like Mark was saying, while everyone's been saying it, we need to be open and listen to the residents because I, I find that, as it is now, council seems – this is part of the apathy. I find that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but our mayor doesn't seem to listen to a lot of the issues. We have people that are concerned on things, and he comes up with these ideas and shuts it down. Like I said before, with the surveys and things, they're all manipulative. The city wants their direction, so they bias everything so they can get their answers for their way and basically shut everything down they shut down debate so I'm I want to be open have people uh, be accessible to people again with the town hall meetings be it live where people can come we can get together somewhere and shop local put it on zoom people can ask questions I don't care how long it takes Uh, right now I'm a truck driver I spend like 16 hours a day sometimes working I'm more than happy to to listen to people and talk to people I love it I'm a gabber so um, I want to work on creating solutions, and when you create solutions, the apathy will go away because people, like everyone's been saying, you listen to the residents, you get results, there you go, the apathy's gone, right? So uh, I just think more open open government, open councillors, and uh, the apathy will go away. But I think that at the election this time, I know the provincial one was very low, but I'll be surprised if we don't get a good turnout this municipal election especially in ward four just by going to the doors everyone's everyone wants to talk so and that's reassuring and great to know so thank you everyone for being here even
0: wow you guys are getting really good at doing the two minutes some of you were like one word away from (laughs) okay one more question then we'll turn it over to the audience And it's going to... I'll let you know who it's for, Jake. In this city, we seem to have differing opinions regarding centralization versus decentralization. On the one hand, there's an apparent trend to build large amenities, while on the other hand, many are complaining about the closure of smaller local ones. There also seems to be a lack of understanding of how building a strong core, or even what is the core... Um, can have a positive effect on those wards that are more suburban what is your stance on the city on how the city needs to grow
2: well
7: wow that's a uh, four-part question i think <laughs> um, yeah uh that's a great question didn't say they were going to be easy yeah that's for sure that's not a good that's not an easy one um Great question, though. No. So uh, in pieces, I suppose, and you know, and, and this I, I think certainly addresses uh, the, the, the 80 Knox issue, and, and so I understand where that question is coming from, and it's a great question. I am a fan of building great neighborhoods. That's what I've tried to do in Walkerville. I'd like to do that in every other neighborhood in the city, not just Ward 4, frankly. I am a fan of uh, urban walkability, and I think that that requires that we have all of the amenities we need in a neighborhood, of schools, shopping recreation, parks, trails, all of it yeah, in every neighborhood. And so I'm, I'm not an enormous fan of uh, uh, centralization. I do think that there are some cost-saving opportunities for us. Uh, you know, some cities in Canada are doing things with recreation and library spaces where a school, recreation, and library center all operate in the same building as a cost savings in a single neighborhood uh, hub, essentially, for each neighborhood. And so I, I think there's some uh, opportunities to... A centralized in a neighborhood to provide some cost savings and efficiencies that way so that you're, you know, sharing the library, sharing the gym space, sharing the rec space and the, and the field space. But um, in general uh, uh, I, I'm not a fan of centralization. I think uh, getting to the core, vitally important. Uh, you cannot, I, I, I travel a lot uh, for, for work and um, you, you do not find a great city that, that doesn't have a great downtown. Great cities have great downtowns. It's not in our ward, but it is an issue for all of us to deal with, for every ward to deal with. Our city needs a great downtown. It is going to take hard, collaborative work from everybody at the table to get that to happen. Uh, and w- we really won't be a great place where we want to invite friends and family and go downtown. Uh, you know, I've got two young kids. I still, I still do take them downtown, but I'd like to see that uh, uh, get better. And we, we need to really focus on that. Yeah.
6: Thank you.
0: Patrick, would you like me to reread the question?
8: Okay. Would you believe I actually agree with Jake? <laughs> it's the first time. No, I agree with him. Every great city, every great town has a great core, has a great downtown. Um, even Detroit was quite cognizant of that. And look at how beautiful downtown Detroit is. If downtown Detroit can turn things around, we certainly can. I do not like the direction that we're going in. Everything has moved away from downtown. Let's bring our sports back downtown. Let's open our community centers. Let's build things around town, downtown. Let's bring the business back. Let's shop back in Windsor, downtown. And that's all I have to say about that.
6: Thank you.
5: Matt. Thank you. You know, as, as part of my role as um, president and CEO of the Windsor-Essex Chamber, I got to meet a lot of senior executives um, from many different places, particularly overseas. And we had uh, one afternoon, we had a senior executive from a German automaker in town visiting with us. And he went downtown and said, I could never get my people to invest in this community because of the downtown. And you know when you're the President of the Chamber of Commerce kind of hits uh it hits pretty hard. Um, I want to agree with a lot of the comments made um in front of me because they're all important. Our downtown is our face, and it's going to need a lot of work and uh We put out a news release, and I know uh, Patrick just touched on it but um at Water park and downtown Detroit is the number one waterfront by the u s a today uh Right now in the USA, they've got a tremendous mix of, of trails, uh, beach volleyball, stuff for kids to do. Families can go there. There are low-cost activities. It's, you know where it is? It's right next to the GM World Headquarters, and it's a selling point. Come to our community. Here's what you can do. Uh, there's all these great amenities for you. Without these amenities, it's really hard to attract jobs and investment because that's our future. So um, – Yes, to some extent, there's, some, there's centralization and decentralization. We have to, first of all, clean up the waterfront. And we put out a uh, platform on some ideas on that on our website. But I can't emphasize enough how important it is that we put on that strong face so that people will invest in our community. Over in Detroit, they had GM and all these private sector um, uh, trusts come in and spend millions of dollars to quinder cut, Atwater Beach, the whole mission, that whole area downtown, the Riverwalk—it's wonderful, and business is coming there. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, that's a good vision for us to work together on going forward.
0: Thank you, Giovanni. Would you like me to repeat the question?
1: Uh, no, I'm good. I think we'll see. Um, so it was like a mega versus a small or minor version. And this is a problem with our communities. Um, a lot of the mega, you know, mega schools, mega hospitals, they like to centralize everything. And it takes away that whole community aspect. So we see a lot of smaller schools leaving communities, so they're not as walkable. There's not as many kids around. It leads to a lot of vacant time in the day when, when there's no action. So it allows for more vandalism or crime because there's no activity and this is a problem I see with a lot of the, the mega aspect um, related to the downtown core. Yeah, I, I see the core that's going to pick up. I think COVID really screwed everything up. Um, with the schools, the university, the college, there's more things going on town, downtown, more development, but COVID shut it all down. So we didn't have that hub of activity. The schools were all virtual. So now once I think in the next year or so, we're going to see more activity downtown and the more activity you get, the less crime, because the more feet, eyes and ears in the streets, the less opportunity for things to go wrong, right? There's more action. Um, again, I, I'm all about keeping things walkable uh, and, and, and minor. So I think we need more schools in, in in communities instead of turning into these big mega projects where everyone's bust everywhere. You don't even know your neighbours anymore. You walk down the street and you don't know everyone. You, you need that sense of family. So slow down on the mega, let's get back to our old school where there's a lot of walkable communities. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Mark. So just to confirm, this was more about uh, large amenities versus neighbourhood amenities, correct? It would was not like about to, downtown. Would you like so, No, no, I'm way. just kind of confirming. There was,
0: two, there was two parts to right. it. Right, okay, It was okay. decentralisation versus centralization. Yep. And... Also, how do you grow a city?
4: Okay, gotcha. Uh, I mean, a lot of candidates have talked about safe, walkable neighborhoods. I think that's pretty much on everybody's platform uh, this election. But part of that does include neighborhood amenities, such as libraries and community centers and neighborhood pools and parks and recreation facilities. Uh, I have an eight-year-old son, so I'm very familiar with the the libraries and and the pools, Uh, you know. And as a city, we must continue to advocate, um, you know, for, for these close and walkable amenities, in our neighborhood uh, you know it's great to have centers such as you know windsor aquatic center and adventure bay and stuff like that but um it shouldn't come at the cost of closing other places like like Waterworld, for example which was you know uh somewhere that was easily accessible for many of the residents and, and the children uh around the glengarry area right and a lot of those children aren't going to walk to adventure bay me as a parent i wouldn't allow my child to walk from glengarry all the way to adventure bay uh, just because it's it's not safe and and that's a far walk and they can't afford to go there they would pay a dollar or two dollars to go to adventure bay and it's twenty dollars or uh, uh sorry water world and it's twenty dollars to uh to go to adventure bay so it's just not feasible uh, so I believe that those who live in neighborhoods normally uh know what's best and and will uh know what kind of works in that neighborhood and uh, we just got to continue to fight for for our neighborhood amenities right um, our close services and that includes Uh, accessible health care as well. Uh, We need more 24-hour urgent cares in our neighborhoods, especially if the hospital is going to be moving to County Road 42. Uh, And we need active transportation. You know, I fully support the transit master plan. Uh, The Chisholm Library in South Walkerville, for example, um, that is one example of, you know, putting a library with a community center, which is great. It's a beautiful library, but it's not even on a bus route. And, (laughs) And, you know, like, it's just the planning of that was... I just don't understand it. So now you have residents who can't even access this library because the closest bus stop is, is you know, three-quarters of a mile away. So uh, I'll do whatever is in my power to keep our neighborhood amenities intact and accessible for all residents to enjoy for years to come.
0: Thank you. Now for part two. We have questions from the audience. And to allow as many people as possible to speak, please limit your preamble to your questions. and <laughs> I'm saying that not that anyone here's done it, but at previous meetings, we've had people go on for like five minutes before they get to the question. Yes,
6: yes. thank you. Well, thank you, thank you. Hello, uh, candidates. Um, my name's Carol Lee, and I'm a resident in Walkerville. I've been there for 27 years. And uh, listening to all of you, your backgrounds and your experiences are very Interesting and creative, some of them, most of them. My question is, I'm really interested about um, lifestyle and health, and I want to know from each of you, what would you do to address the traffic issues that we have, and what would you do around calming the calming um, um, uh, issue to help with traffic? What type of calming... Um, interventions would you do to help with speeding in the Walkerville area and actually all across Windsor? I'd like to know what some of your creative ideas would be. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Does anyone want to go first? Matt?
5: Thanks for the question. Uh, We put a platform out on uh, votemarchian.com, traffic calming in particular. Uh, I also know some of my colleagues have talked about it as well. Um, We've looked at cities across Ontario and there's a number of different examples I'll give you three one are the uh, the um, the Bullards you, you see those Bullards you see them now on uh, Old Riverside Drive uh, yeah down by Brighton uh, there's a, also we looked at Guelph too um, they've got and I've been to Guelph many many times uh, family reasons and they've got these wonderful kind of speed bumps like this and you really have they're in residential areas and you really have to slow down because if you don't, your axle is going to be over here and your car is going to be over there. So people slow down. Uh, that's really a good one, too. Uh, there's also speed bumps as well. And also roundabouts, too, are a good way to traffic calm. Because right now, uh, and I'm sure my colleagues will talk about that, when you talk to people, cars speeding down, whether it's Richmond or Monmouth or all these roads, they're zooming by. Uh, I live on Monmouth, and it's, you know, I can go on the front porch. I take my life in the hand to go across the street sometimes because cars are flying down there. So traffic calming is really a priority. Uh, It's also dangerous in the school areas too, because you got kids crossing schools, um, crossing coming from school, and you got cars speeding. It's not a good mix. So those are the three things that we looked at. They're relatively cost uh, efficient, um, and let's keep the cars, you know, on the main arteries doing the hopefully the speed limit. They shouldn't be speeding down residential roads.
0: Thank you. Well, I was going to say who'd like to speak next, but since you put I'll your hand up, you can go uh, next. Sure.
7: <laughs> okay. Might make it easier if you want to mix them. Um, yeah. Uh, Carolee, thank you for the question. It's an excellent question, and and it's one we get at the door constantly everywhere in the ward. So, and, and I think I'll, I'll, many people think it's, so, it's sort of unique to their street or streets uh, directly uh, abutting them, but it's the entire city is an issue in, in traffic. And so... The current council actually has already approved the philosophy of Vision Zero. Um, What's happening right now, and Vision Zero is a zero casualties cause from traffic accidents in the city. So getting to zero casualties. You can't, there will always be bad drivers, but can we limit, um, can we design roads in a way, and to to a number of Matt's points, can we design roads in a way that takes the bad drivers out of killing people? Um, And so they've approved that philosophy what's happening right now is the traffic department is working on the action the Vision zero action plan portion of it and the action plan portion of it will be a toolbox of of, uh, traffic calming measures so they will include I'm sure raised platforms like Matt uh, spoke of and we have a couple of them on Riverside Drive and they do work really well Um, what we probably won't see in a couple there's there's a couple of candidates who've talked about the small uh, parking lot speed bumps Um, Traffic doesn't like using those because if you hit them going full speed, uh, you know, the city is liable for the damage you do to your car. So, but w- there will be things like roundabouts, more strategic stop sign locations, or changing some of our stop sign locations, um, shared entranceways into roads. If you've been to big cities in like Toronto or Montreal, you've seen that where you have to stop and another car has to come out before you can enter onto a roadway. Uh, so, a number of, of tools in the toolbox to bring. Uh, speeding down and make our streets safer for for not just uh, cars, but for pedestrians and bicyclists and children. And, and around the schools, uh, you know, I think a big thing for me is bringing the speed limit down to 30 kilometers around schools and parks. I think that that's a no-brainer, and most cities in Europe have done that already.
0: Thank you. <clears> Thank <throat> you see Giovanni and Mark taking copious notes while everyone's talking. So which one of you is ready to go? <laughs> okay, Mark. <Sure. laughs>
4: yeah, speeding is a major issue, um, not only in Ward 4, but uh, we're hearing it, you know, every, everybody's talking about it uh, all over the city. And uh, in all honesty, um, all over North America, I mean, speeding has become a, a major issue. Vision Zero, yeah, as you heard, is something that the city is trying to implement uh, traffic coming measures, which, which should slow down traffic, especially in our residential streets. And, uh, you know, I, I am fully in favor of reducing speed limits to 40 kilometers per hour in residential zones, 30 in school safety zones. We need increased fines in those school safety zones as well. Uh, but it all comes down to enforcement. And uh, I've spoken to the Windsor police. I, You know, there was a meeting a couple weeks ago where I was able to, uh, to chat with a few officers. And uh, they did say that they are working on a, uh, their 10-year plan where they do wanna hire additional auxiliary and special constables to focus just on neighborhood crime and enforcing speeding in our neighborhoods. So I fully commit to endorsing that because we do that's what it is. You know? We can have rules, just like bylaws, you can have all these things, but if they're not being enforced, then it doesn't matter, right? And if we want safe neighborhoods, we have to have more enforcement, we have to have more police walking the streets, riding their bikes, and enforcing these speed limits and these rules. I also, you know, I've, I've talked about eliminating one-way streets. Uh, I think they just, they encourage speeding. It's, uh, it's just an old way of thinking to get people in and out of areas quickly. Uh, we see it on Gladstone and Lincoln, and they're treated as drag strips. And that's why there's been so many accidents uh, on Gladstone. For example, Gladstone in Richmond, it's because of that one-way street where people are flying down. They're going 80 kilometers an hour. Uh, but we also have to look at transit. We've got to get more people taking transit, so we need to endorse that transit master plan. We need a proper transit system so that way people don't have to rely on their cars. They can they can take our public transit and we, and we can get more cars off the road uh, as well. I know people also talk about the speed humps or speed bumps. Um, I think those, you know, that's a last resort. It's gonna cause issues in the winter and all that really does is just uh, push the speeders to the next street over so then your neighbors have to deal with it. So again, I fully endorse Vision Zero and uh, increased fines and, and enforcement in our neighbourhoods.
0: Thank you, Mark. I'm going to get to you last because you went out of the room for <laughs> Giovanni.
1: Okay, uh, thanks, Carolee. So the speeding uh, is an issue everywhere, and it, it varies on the, what kind of uh, tactics you want to use to slow it, depending on the street, right? If it's an arterial, arterial road, if it's a one-way, if it's two-way street, it's residential street. So there's all sorts of aspects and not everyone owns a vehicle so we need to make Windsor more accessible because more people are going to be using their bikes, more people are going to be walking. Um, I think we need to, when we do new developments, we have to encompass a way that they have sidewalks and bike lanes incorporated into the new subdivisions. Uh, and our old, you know, workforce is full of old communities so you can't really do that because there's no real room to create new developments. But um, again, like Mark said, we need to... Also invest more in public transit because a lot of people may just want to use the bus, and we can get more cars off the road that way. Everyone's in a hurry to get nowhere. They don't even pay. Res- they don't even respect the fact they're in school zones anymore. So we can even put four-way stops, rumble strips, um, more more crosswalks around schools. That way they have to slow down and have to stop. I mean, the schools are the important areas where the kids are we don't want accidents anywhere, but if we can at least protect school zones and then worry about the rest after that. Um, So more crosswalks, four way stops. We need more shared pathways to allow us pedestrians, bicyclists, e-scooters on them together. So we get more, more of these uh, more um, like individual uh, transportation modes off of the roadways. Um, But we, we all need, you know, a pedestrians fighting with a cyclist with a, Someone driving a vehicle. We need to all work together to come up with solutions that we can all get together and, you know, make the community more accessible. Thanks. Thank
0: you. Patrick, would you like to
8: respond? So this is a similar question that we had, uh, and we had we had this question, and we discussed it at one of the last meetings. Actually, the answers are twice as good as uh, they were <laughs> before. So you guys have really thought about it. So, um, I concur with a lot of the things they're talking about. I mean, four-way stops is a great idea. A lot of people were complaining about some accidents around Richmond and Gladstone. Um, Another candidate mentioned the zigzag painting at school zones. That's a great idea. Uh, Let's bring down some of the the speeding limits. I have no problem with that. Uh, Every... Residential areas should have the kids at play or deaf kids at play signs. And I myself as a driver, as soon as I see that, you know, I I become quite a lot more aware of of what's going on and cognizant of any movement or any children around. So I think that's a great idea. Um, We we need more police presence. Clearly, there's too much speeding. We do need to take away the one-way streets. I, I agree with that as well. And I would like to see more police on bikes as well. So not just the the police presence and the cruisers, but the police on bikes. And I would like to see more accessibility for the handicapped, the people in wheelchairs. I would like to see the lanes for the bikes uh, increased by about a foot. And I think our neighborhood would be a little bit safer.
0: Thank you. We have a gentleman standing at the mic. And before you ask your question though, if anyone would like me to come to you with the mic for a question, because you don't want to get up to the microphone, please put your hand up and I'll come.
3: Sir. Thank you. My name is Steven Day. I'm a law enforcement officer for 40 years. I lived in uh, Walkerville for 30 years. I don't think there'll be a clapping when I'm finished. <laughs> no, I, I purchased two homes. I one in uh, and one on uh, Parent University. And the one on Windermere, very nice neighborhood, but I wanted to get into business, so I opened up at B&B on Parent University, what most people call the Glengarry area. It's not a very fashionable area, but most of the people I knew from my occupation. Now, the first thing I noticed when I first moved to Parent was the road kept caving in. And I thought, well, this is kind of funny. What's going on here? So I took a ladder. I called my neighbor, and we climbed down there. Lo and behold, I think I found how the Run Runners did it. Parent University one big hollow road. And I don't know why people use that road. And every time a transport truck comes down, I get nervous. Because I look out my kitchen window, and I see trucks going by, and my home shaking. I went down to City Hall, and this is about uh, 20 years ago. I walked in and I said, look, you got a problem down here. And I said, oh, yeah, parent, yeah, yeah, we know that. We know We know the area. It's uh, it's something that's going to cost us a lot of money, and we got plans in the future to fix it. Well, that's been 20 years. Well, this summer, the 30th pot will happen. And they came down again, built a little box underneath it, filled it with stone, and covered it up. I said to the guy doing it, I said, when are they going to fix this? What's going on down there? And they said, you know, they've been neglecting this area for too long. And I just want to warn people, when you go down parent near university, be very careful. If your car doesn't fall in the road, like it happened to one of the city councilors, and they had to pull him out with a tow truck, and Sir, nothing still question? hasn't been done about it.
0: Is there a question?
3: Yeah, that's my question. It's just a a warning to some people when you do come down that area. Now, that's Ward 4. And on the map, it's Ward 4-1. And that's one of the most areas that you don't pay any attention to. Any program you want to put there, you put there. You don't ask anyone. You just slap it in there. So my question is, why is that area so forgotten? It's Ward 4. You brag about Ward 4. Did a beautiful job in walking. I must say, it's, it's really improved. If you knew what it was before, you look at it now, it's a gorgeous area. Probably one of our best in Windsor. But Thank yet, you. in the same word, you forget about it. And all I like to know why. I've invested a lot of money there, and yet, you get one snowplow and one street cleaner a year. Thank and you. I talk about Askins. My goodness. We appreciate that you're. I understand angry. what you're saying. But I've waited a year for this. <laughs> but when they put up the signs, they put them right in front of the stop signs so people miss them. And people get nailed. And we stand on our deck and we bet, oh, look at that car coming. He'll never stop on that ice. I went every year.
2: Jake,
3: you Jake, need to take a look at that area and stop fooling around with it. You had us go down the city hall, oh, look at this beautiful plan. What happened to it?
0: Thank you very much for your question. Yes. Jake?
3: had his hand up, he wants to answer. Yeah,
7: I I, that's a great question, Stephen. I, and I want to a- answer that because the first thing that jumped out to me when we looked at our polling stations is that uh, Ward 4, Poll 1, does not have their own voting location, which is mind-boggling to me. I don't understand how that even happened. So the people in the uh, po- poll polling location 4-1 have to go to four two to vote all the way up to Erie Street, uh, and that's automatically an issue with accessibility. I cannot believe that that's like that, one hundred percent. If I get in, there will be a voting location in that in in, in that polling station. That's that's ridiculous. Um, so there's inequities, and and it's it's. A great point of, uh, of, to bring that up, and I'm glad you did it. And I'm, you know, and that, that it's focused on the ward, but it, there's a bigger issue, or that it's focused the question, focused on the road, but it, it's a bigger issue in, in dealing with inequities across the ward. And um, we need to do that. The, the entire ward needs um, support. And, you know, part of my platform has been let's look at all of our parks, Geniac, the waterfront, Lansbury, you know, not just Willistead and South and Memorials. So, and you can see more of that on the website but um to to the issue with the roads this is the second conversation i've had like this there's a block a th- 1000 block i think of windermere where there's a depression in the road and the same 16 houses flood every time it rains their basements flood the the because the because the natural grade of the road and, and we haven't had a fix there and they've been complaining about it for over 20 years same issue so how are we getting the same complaint on a key infrastructure issue not fixed i think that that is you know, a, your ward counselor needs to be a part of building a petition to get the, the issue dealt with and, and, and go down and fight for it, not just at the council table, but in administration. That, that issue needs to be fought with at, in public works. Uh, fought for in public works, and, and, and yeah, that you should we can't have hollow roads. We found hollowed out part portions of Wyandotte and and other parts in Old Walkerville because of old oil cisterns and coal rooms and things like that. This stuff does exist under our infrastructure, and we do need to find them and fill them. It it is expensive, but you know it's a back hole and a week of work. Dig it out, fill it up, relay the road, and get it done with. There's no reason why it should be 20 years. That boggles my mind.
5: Is it on, there we go, okay. So I was just uh, with a couple of volunteers out in your neighborhood earlier this week, and uh, we met uh, a nice lady on right about where you were on that parent university area. And she was and she had a, actually a story in the Windsor Star, Ann Jarvis did a story a couple years ago about they had a neighborhood meeting and they're gonna get lights and, and so on and so forth. And we had a nice conversation with her for about 15 minutes. Um, so what you say is 100% correct. It hasn't been uh, dealt with. Uh, it's, it's shameful in, in many respects. There's, you have an abandoned school across the street. I don't know what's going on there, the old Immaculate Conception. But that area needs some attention. And we had a nice discussion with her, and I told her, look, we've we got to get some attention in here. That's the bottom line. And, um, you know, if I said, you know, if you elect me, we're going to start dealing with some of these things rather than... Um, look at empty buildings and things that aren't getting done. Parent Avenue, there's another gentleman in this room that lives on Parent Avenue. And uh, yeah, and uh, it's a huge, huge problem. And um, yeah, so we're gonna work on that real hard partnering with you, of course, in the neighborhood. And I think that's sort of what's been lacking. There hasn't been that partnership between the councilor, the city hall, and the neighborhood to get some of these infrastructure and some attention, just get some lights in the alleys. I had that complaint. She was very passionate about it, that she's been ignored. Despite a front page story in the Windsor Star, it was, I was think the, the title of the article was the area that's been forgotten. And after it was written, it was forgotten. But we're going to change that, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Let me be if I hadn't
8: heard that before. <laughs> I've heard it for sure. years. So I, I, you know, put something in writing, put it out there to the public, and you'll, you'll get a lot more support. Good well, night, no, can I address
0: this yes, question? Yes, please do.
8: Steven, you've seen me campaign right in front of your house. We've met each other many a times. Guess who's from the forgotten area? I am. I live three blocks away from his house. Do you know why this area's been neglected? You haven't voted for someone from that area. You've always voted for, some, uh, for someone from Walkerville. Walkerville looks fantastic. Vote for someone from the neglected area so that area can be taken care of for once. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Giovanni.
1: Hello, hello. Yeah, Stephen, yeah, that's unfortunate. But I see that that's a pattern here because I, I've been in the area and it's not just a parent, it's the Wine BIA complaints. The housing apartments on Elmer are complaining. Look at Water World. They've given that away. That should be given back to your community. We need to find a solution for the homeless, not giving them away amenities that, you know, kids in the community have something to do. Now they don't have anything to do. Again, like Matt said, Immaculate Conception School. I was in the neighborhood. The lady was complaining about the lighting in the alleyway. Let's turn that school into housing or something. Get some vibrancy going. You know, I want to get investments from the private sector to invest money in amenities like splash pads, dog parks, picnic shelters, You know, the the riverfront there from Parent all the way to Walker Road doesn't even have a picnic table. Like, if we can get some picnic tables, we can get some activity out there. People that live in apartments and and don't have access to balconies or patios, they might hang out at the waterfront longer and create a safer community because they're walking around and less chance for vandalism. The families might be down there having picnics. Every community should have a splash pad. We have this uh, climate crisis coming on, right? We need places for people to cool. Again, like the pool at 80 knots. We need these amenities. Windsor Works, how the mayor loves to talk up and we keep investing money into this Windsor Works program. They say we need more amenities to keep people in communities. While well, those amenities need to be spread out, again, it's like that mega thing. We need to spread it out in your community, Old Walkerville, South Walkerville, all these parks. We need to invest in these parks private sector investments, we get the amenities, we keep getting revenue year after year from the advertising, then we can put lights in alleys, we can put new washrooms, we can invest this money back into the parks, get more amenities, and make the community safer. And I'd like to start after school programs. I used to organize intramural programs in college. These are things, we get the kids, let's go, let's start up a basketball, floor hockey, whatever, get kids together, they get to know kids in the different communities, work together, and we get a big family atmosphere all around Ward 4.
0: Thank you. Mark, did you want to answer the question? Yeah, yeah,
4: absolutely. Uh, Stephen, first off, I want to thank you for your service for uh, many years, and thank you for coming here today. Uh, You know, it comes down to one thing, and it's a lack of proper representation, and this isn't something that has happened just over the past 10 years, this goes back 40 years. You know, it goes back to John Milson as mayor and then Mike Hurst and then Eddie Francis and, and unfortunately uh, our current administration as well. And you've just had a uh, lack of proper representation and city councillors who just cannot get along uh, with their other city council colleagues and the mayor. Um, so that's a big issue and that's why infrastructure dollars aren't being allocated to Ward 4. And that's why I've said from day one, I don't care who's in the mayor's chair and I don't care who's sitting around the council table Uh, We need to all get along for the greater good and advocate for proper infrastructure dollars for our neighborhoods. I love your neighborhood. I mean, I I was at Brew just a couple weeks ago speaking to the new owners there. And uh, their major complaints were that there's, first off, no parking around there. It's all permit parking. So even residents are having a hard time finding parking sometimes. You have friends that want to come over on a Friday or Saturday. There's nowhere for them to park. And uh, these businesses are trying to thrive, and they don't have anywhere for their customers to park. There's burned-out houses that the city won't tear down, and, uh, and again, even burned out uh, school, you know, closed schools that have been closed for, you know, five years uh, that the city won't do anything with, uh, you know, so those are major issues, and we need to start focusing on not just Walkerville, uh, but every area of Ward 4, and unfortunately, over the past eight years, it seems like Walkerville has gotten all the investments, and the rest of Ward 4, ha- 4 has been ignored, And, again, that comes down to infrastructure dollars as well and uh, funding from the city. So I promise to fight for all of Ward 4, not just a small section of it. And uh, I absolutely would love to meet with you, see about, you know, helping you out and getting more dollars allocated to, again, all of Ward 4, not just a small section of it. So thank you for coming tonight. Thank you, Mark. Do
0: you have a question? No? Any other? Oh. You're lining up. Thank you.
9: Good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Cardinal. I'm from Ward 2. My reason for being here tonight is the residential rental license. A number of us have lobbied for years with city council to have a residential rental license. And so the question really comes to you, what is your opinion of it? Is the landlord-tenant board enough for regulation, for uh, tenancies, for any uh, tenants to live in a safe place? Or because city council coming up is going to vote on the ver- the verbiage of this two-year temporary pilot project in Ward 1 and 1-2, and then vote on whether or not it becomes citywide. We would like to know what your position is. Do tenants have a right to a safe place to live in before they sleep the first night? And how do you see it happening?
0: Thank you. would like to vote? Mark would like to go first. Sure.
4: I mean, as a realtor, I mean, I deal with issues like this all the time, and I'm very familiar uh, with the uh, residential rental licensing bylaw that has been implemented on that two-year pilot project for Ward 1 and 2. Uh, you know, there's a lot of complaints. Airbnbs and uh, investment property rentals have become a, a huge issue, not just in Ward 4, uh, but throughout the city. And uh, that, so for people who may not be familiar, by the way, this whole residential rental licensing bylaw, uh, it's, it's designed to, to raise property standards and kind of just uh, ensure that property owners are... are compliant with the city's building and fire codes, So that way you don't have a single family home uh, that's now being turned into a three or four unit uh, building, right? Where you have 15 people living in a house and, and it's not following uh, the fire code. So, uh, and it mainly narrows down on, you know, just those troublesome out-of-town landlords that, are, that aren't playing by the rules. So this is a bylaw that, um, I mean, it's sound, again, it hasn't been implemented for very long, um, but I do agree with everything that, that it is trying to address, And I think it's something that perhaps could be expanded uh, throughout the city. Airbnbs, you know, uh, I'm sure there probably are some people here who may own Airbnbs, but honestly, uh, they do nothing to increase the quality of life for uh, neighborhoods. Uh, Sometimes they're more trouble than they're worth. Uh, There was a complaint just a few blocks from where I live on Kildare uh, just two days ago, and uh, the neighbor was complaining on one of our Facebook groups saying how there was loud music at 7 in the morning, uh, and it went until 10 a.m., and they couldn't. Get a hold of the landlord because nobody knows who owns the place right and and you know they need to be responsible owners if you're gonna own an airbnb you should be letting all the neighbors know hey here's contact info if you have any problems please you know give me a call right it's all just about respecting your neighbors and your neighborhood uh but again enforcement is key and like i've said about traffic calming measures and bylaw enforcement enforcement is key and i'd like to see us hire more bylaw enforcement officers uh, maybe even look at expanding the contract with commissionaires who do our our uh, traffic, uh, you know, the the parking meters and stuff, and allow them to enforce bylaws throughout the city as well. But I am one hundred percent in favor of the residential rental licensing bylaw that is in Ward One and Two right now.
0: Thank you, Mark. Who would like to speak? Anyone else want to ask the question? Jake.
7: Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming, Mike. Um, you know, uh, Mike Cardinal's been a, a, a staunch community advocate out on the west side of the city for many, many years. Uh, so thank you for everything you do uh, out there in, in those wards. I I, I love that uh, that we had this bylaw that the, uh, and that they ran this pilot pilot study. Uh, you know, the 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 focus of it really was student residential housing in those in those uh, wards. Um, And and the issues there were were pretty obvious in some of the conditions some of the students were living in, uh, and and we needed to fix that. And so having that um, review process through the lens of fire code and and building code um, is vital. So I I absolutely am in support of of that citywide. I think that... there are certainly two different issues when we talk about um, the, the temporary uh, rental housing like Airbnbs. Um, it's going to be difficult to encapsulate uh, a process that fairly represents a property owner and a tourist uh, within a, a, a bylaw that is really designed to uh, manage uh, permanent housing. And our permanent housing stock is vital. And, and one of the things we're happening uh, we 're seeing happen is we 're losing housing stock and this is causing an increase or a decrease in affordability an increase in cost uh, rental cost we 're losing housing stock because out of town buyers are buying properties up and uh, renting them out on weekends only and and that 's causing us uh, less uh, rental stock and so while we 're doing as much as we can on the planning committee, I sit on the bill to approve and build as many units as fast as possible. We also can 't have these units we 're building being purchased up uh, and and simply rented, you know, vacant most of the time, rented only to tourists. So we need to, the country, frankly, this isn't just a a Windsor-specific issue. This is something all municipalities are dealing with, how to handle licensing and management of uh, Airbnb properties, which is a little bit different than the student rental and permanent housing property.
0: Thank you. Would anyone else like to answer that question?
1: Giovanni. Can't, I'm only going to speak to it that I don't really know. I've only heard complaints from uh, landlords that think it's a money grab, that it's, like, redundant. That So I don't know. I, I'm speaking from what I've heard. So I have no idea. If, if it makes apartments safer, then that's great. I, I was just told by uh, people that own apartments that they're already doing this through the fire codes and the building codes, and this is just – no. Okay. So yeah. So basically, I was going to say that I don't know anything about it. So,
9: single-family dwellings and anything under six units skips the fire code. It's only six units and more that qualify for fire code because they're semi-commercial properties. I can talk to you later about an education.
1: Okay. So you think this is a good thing then, right?
9: I've lobbied for it for nearly twenty years. Yes. Okay. And I am a landlord.
1: Okay. That's good to know thank
9: you. I don't believe, just like restaurants, that the public should be paying to inspect commercial rental income properties. Uh, when I claim this stuff on my income tax, it is under the, bu- the business line, not uh, a wage line, on my, pro- on my uh, income tax. Um, so it's a write-off. But we don't pay as a city taxpayer uh, for the inspection of restaurants. That is, the restaurants pay a license fee that covers the cost of patrolling them. Same thing for a mechanic. Same thing, I believe, for someone who's going to sleep in a building that could risk their life. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: Thank you. Thank you for your questions.
9: Hi, Mike.
0: Thank
10: you. Hello, everybody. Um, My name came up. Uh, a couple of times, Uh, must be because of the work that I did uh, in terms of uh, establishing, uh, trying to establish a proper uh, auditor general. Um, And uh, we went through, a a number of uh, people that worked with me uh, and I went through a whole process of trying to get city council to to establish it. And uh, they knew they had to do something uh, so finally, they, uh, they uh, came up with the idea of a pseudo-auditor uh, general uh, that is still uh, working for uh, CFW, the uh, accounting firm that's been working for the city for the past 10 years, hand-in-hand with the city. And now the auditor general is basically not independent. It is, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, the same guy that was running uh, the other auditing firm, CFW, is now the Auditor General. So they combined the two, uh, and at the time, for me, it was like uh, getting a nice big fat uh, Christmas present, opening it up, and there's nothing there Um, because we don't have an Auditor General. Don't let anybody... They've just got a name now. They have a name. Now, the thing is... um, if there was some idea of an Auditor General doing some work, that might be something. But we haven't had a report from the Auditor General uh, that was created since uh, April of 2021. Uh, you can go to the City Hall website and you can, you can uh, search and you can find out uh, some vanilla issue about uh, whatever it was. But that was the last report since that time. And of course... If you bring it up, they're just going to cry, COVID, COVID, oh, my goodness, we couldn't do anything. And the thing is, they've managed to do everything else. The city spent a lot of money on all kinds of different things. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, just to make it clear, um, the auditor we don't have an Auditor General. Um, and uh, it, in the pseudo one that we do have isn't doing anything anyway. Uh, it, what's happening is, is exactly what the mayor and the, and the powers that be wanted to happen was the idea to, uh, to, to finally be shelved. Uh, nobody's talking about it in this campaign. Um, and um, I'm just waiting for the new city council and the new mayor um, to uh, start the whole process again and try to educate people, let them know that we don't have an auditor general. And the auditor general... Is supposed to be overseeing the spending of city money, making sure that we get value for money for every tax dollar that we spend, um, and uh, to try to uh, make life as, as, as uh, good for everybody as possible. And uh, that's the short version of what an Auditor General does. So, anyway, that's Excuse the bottom line. Yeah, okay, so.
0: For those of you who don't know, this is Howard Weeks.
10: Oh. Okay, Howard. I'm Howard Weeks. You <laughs> yeah. Howard, your question. So my question is, I just i have talked to a few of you, and I've, I've, I've noticed that I have to bring you up to speed on this. And uh, so my question is, uh, when I start yelling and screaming, which is what I'm going to do, uh, what are you guys going to do about it? Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for your important question.
2: I'll
5: take that I'll go first yeah so as part of my mayoral campaign in 2018 value for money audit appointing an auditor general those are all huge issues transparency and accountability those are the fundamental principles of our campaign in 2018 to Howard's point did they appoint an auditor general sort of uh someone with a name is he functioning as an actual auditor general uh probably not uh are we getting the value for money audits uh not really um is the NWIN bill much clearer? Uh, no. So to Howard's point, there's much more work to be done. Uh, I was the champion of all of this back in 2018 and will continue to be the champion of this in 2022 and beyond if elected. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Matt. Thank you. Would anyone else? Mark, you look like you're
4: going to. Yeah, I can talk. Okay. Sure. <laughs> no, no. no. no yeah, just... why not? <laughs> Well, I mean, again, that comes all down to transparency and accountability, which I've been saying from, from the start of my campaign, is that there just is a lack of transparency and accountability at City Hall. I mean, I, I know I know, you know, what Howard's been talking about for years, and it's not just the past four years. It's, I think, the past decade now, Howard, uh, possibly, right? <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. And uh, Auditor Generals, it's a proven fact, they, they save cities money. It's they do. They save us money. And if we want to keep our taxes low, then we should have a proper auditor general. I'm a member of many board of directors and we get our, you know, our auditor reports quarterly and they break everything down. And here you go. And, uh, you know, Howard made a good point about um, a lot of people like to use COVID as an excuse. And it's a bunch of BS because everybody's using it as as an excuse now. Even, you know, you go to Tim Hortons and oh, sorry for the bad service. It's COVID. Well, you know what? Uh, We need to learn to fix it. We can't use COVID as an excuse for the next 20 years. So, no, I'm 100% in favor of a proper Auditor General. It will save taxpayers money. It will increase accountability and transparency at City Hall, uh, 100%. So, Thank you. <laughs>
0: Giovanni?
1: Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Four years ago, I signed your uh, paper supporting the uh, independent... Auditor General, and I'm backing it again. Again, like Mark and Matt said, we need accountability at the City Hall. They keep coming up with all this money they spend on things, and everything seems to be $3 million. $3 million to the university for the using their pool. $3 million for Lansbury. $3 million for the ice rink at downtown City Hall. I don't know. I don't know who's coming up with these values, but we need an Auditor General to question what's going on, and for transparency. So I fully support an independent Auditor General and I back you all the way on it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay,
0: Jake. Thank you for coming this evening, Patrick.
7: Patrick's got to run. Thanks, Patrick, for coming. Um, Yeah, great question, Howard, and, and We've chatted about it before, and and for me, you know, the history of it's interesting. I, you know, I really remember this being a conversation surrounding the uh, the first uh, downtown build, uh, the n- first downtown uh, city hall build, the new build there. Uh, and you know, I worked a lot at the time uh, as chair of the BIA. I worked a lot at the time with Alan halverstadt who was a member of our board, and he was very. He had a lot of questions about. Uh, some of the funding and that development, and uh, and was in favor of the Auditor General then, and I agreed with him then, and I agree with you now. I, I do think an independent uh, overview process is important in democracy in general. It doesn't just save cities money, it saves provinces and, and countries money, uh, the, the uh, Office of an Independent Auditor General, and so I'm completely in favor of it, and I think that that role could be expanded to include some of what uh, Matt has talked about, cost-benefit analyses as well. And so it's not just about going in and pointing fingers at what's happened wrong, but it's about going in and finding our best efficiencies, our best opportunities for are we spending money correctly, can we spend it better, do we need to take part of a roadway up and then five years later take the rest of it up, or should we be doing this all in one shot and saving some money on it? And so. Uh, everything from little projects to, to our, major, uh, our major institutional builds. Um, a few things I'm in favor of are, are uh, adaptive reuse of, of heritage buildings. Uh, I'm a, a, a fan of heritage preservation. Uh, it's a personal passion of mine. I think that when it comes time to, for us to find a new main library branch, that we should be identifying a building that we can adaptively reuse instead of building a new one. Uh, That I think that will save us some significant dollars and and gentrify what could be a beautiful facade, maybe the Paul Martin building downtown, maybe another in the the core, uh, an old church or something like that. But we have an opportunity to to look at some of our spending from that perspective, efficiency focused uh, spending and, and good solutions. And so that's another reason it's not just about going in and digging in the past and and trying to find a bu- uh, you know you know a whole lot of finger pointing uh, that we can do, but also can we identify cost savings uh, now and in the future?
0: Pretty good. <laughs> I didn't fix that. Work, um, any other questions from the audience? A stream question? Are you? Oh, okay. Go for it, TJ.
2: Oh.
0: oh. well. Wait a minute. No, you know what? We're re- we're being recorded. So we'll bring you the microphone. You don't have to get up.
10: I came to this meeting for one important question. Uh, I love the Riverside Park. And I was here when Bottigello and those aldermen worked very hard to keep it green and passive.
3: What do you think should be
9: the future of that park?
5: Your name?
0: Aldo, thank you Aldo for the question. Who would like to answer that first?
5: I'll start that. Thank you, Matt. I'll start Yeah. Okay. Um, Although, so, I I work for Mike Hurst, as you you may know. I also remember uh, reading a lot about Roy Batagello and his contribution to the waterfront. And really, it goes back to the waterfront acquisition policy. It goes back to the 40s. So, this was like an 80-year vision for the waterfront. So, Mike Hurst, um, that was one of his, his most important things. The waterfront, and he completed it under his term. He took out the train tracks, got the Peabody Bridge down. We brought the interim casino in here to do the and pay for the remediation of the soil. One of the defining characteristics of the waterfront, of course, is to make sure that it doesn't turn into, you know, high buildings and high development. What we suggested in our campaign, using the Detroit Dequindre Cut, their riverfront walk, nice place for people to gather to go for a run, a walk, enjoy some amenities. You can walk from Hiram Walker to downtown. You can't get a drink, you can't use the bathroom, and and you can't get an ice cream cone. So there is opportunity to do some, you know, whether it's food trucks or make the waterfront more accessible uh, and have a place for families to go to, yeah, exactly. So families to go to, I get the complaint at the door. I go down to the waterfront, I can't stay very long, there's no shade. You go to the Detroit waterfront, they have beach chairs with shade, there's past, there's natural grass, there's stuff for kids to do. Um, there's opportunity there to to drive some value without, you know, damaging or disrupting the values that have gone back from the late nineteen forties and my old boss, Mike Hurst and John Milson and many others were, were behind this Roy bad Jella was a big champion of the waterfront. So there's opportunity there, and uh, we look forward to... The other, the other thing, too, we need there is lights. You can't... Yeah, exactly. You can't use that trail um, in the evening. It's, it's too dark. It, it, there's a lot of vegetation there. Um, you know, police presence, you know, some, you know it comes and goes. Um, and I, one more second. Yeah. And as I say, I get, I get complaints about people. They're out for a run. They, 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 the bathrooms are locked. There's no place to get a drink. There's no food trucks. It's summertime. It's too hot. Um, so there, we can improve on it, and with keeping it intact, in with the vision of you know my old boss my curse, of course, but also all, the, all of our predecessors going back eighty years. Thank you, Matt.
0: Jake, do you wanted to say something?
5: Sure. Yep.
10: Yeah,
7: yeah I, I love the question because I love the waterfront. Uh, I I grew up on Windermere down in that area, and we. Uh, You know, my mother would complain about the buckets of gardener snakes we brought back from the tracks. (laughs) Um, And the old Peabody Bridge was down there, of course. And so I love the way it turned out. I do agree with Matt. I think there's some opportunity to activate it. I don't like that the sculpture garden on the west side of the city stops downtown. I would love to see, and I've advocated for this for many years, that our our outdoor sculpture garden continue all the way to Hiram Walker, that it be an entire waterfront uh, art feature, public art feature for us. Uh, John's idea of picnic tables is right on as well. Again, west of downtown, there are picnic tables on, on the, in the waterfront park and we don't have that east of downtown. So, at, activating the space, maybe looking at, you know, the the beautiful historic old pump station as an opportunity. We're not going to tear that down. Can we turn that into a little ice cream shop, a coffee shop or something like that? It's right there, it's accessible. We've got a pathway down to it. Uh, solar lighting we need to do in all our parks, downtown inc- or, or waterfront included. But um, I, I I would love to see the, 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 that trail system and that park activated in a way that, that people do want to go down there and spend time down there. It's great for jogging. It's great for biking. But I'd like to go down there and sit and relax. And, and you know, can we put chairs out? Uh, can we put seating out? Can we do things like that that allows us to activate the space so that it's more enjoyable for our neighborhoods? It, this goes back to creating great neighborhoods. That waterfront is a part of a number of neighborhoods, right, all the way along the city. And we kind of forget that. It comes across as being something separate from our neighborhoods because it's divided by the roadway. On the, uh, in a very recent planning committee meeting that, um, uh, that uh, I was at, there's a new development being built, a new uh, medium high-density development being built at the, at the foot of Hall and Riverside Drive, and there isn't a good crosswalk. Down there, and so I, w- I added a friendly amendment to the motion so that when the when this uh, uh, project comes to council, and it will come to council soon, I think in a month or so, that the uh, administration will include the cost of a new pedestrian crosswalk at uh, uh, um, the one or two streets over at Peary, so that we have greater accessibility down to our waterfront. Whichever
4: first. You like? Sure. Mark. Yeah, I can go. Um, you know, it's funny you bring up the waterfront. Uh, my father, who's sitting in the audience here tonight, ran for council back in, uh, in the early 90s. And uh, that was one of his main things was, hey, we need to green our waterfront. And it's nice to see that it finally happened. But, uh, you know, we also need to look to the future. And I'm not just talking about the next four years, but the next 40 years. And we need to make sure that that waterfront is protected. Uh, I am against, you know, private business development on that waterfront, but I would love to see more activity there, you know, pop-ups going on, uh, more development actually on Riverside Drive, and uh, even, you know, proper streetscaping. I know that's been talked about as well, Uh, streetscaping and traffic calming measures to make it more pedestrian-friendly. I've been talking about lights as well from uh, the the start of my campaign in July. Um, The city lacks proper lighting on numerous paths, not just the waterfront, uh, but, you know, parks all around the city as well. And I know Calderwood Park and some other parks around the city have started getting solar lighting put in. But again, that just goes to what I said earlier about we haven't had uh, proper representation at the council table. We don't have councillors who can get along with administration and, uh, and with other people at the council table and the mayor uh, to advocate for these things for our ward. And, uh, and that's what we need. We need a councillor who's going to get along with the fellow councillors and the mayor, whoever that may be, uh, to try to start getting these infrastructure dollars and these investment dollars into our ward, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And uh, yes, I am 100% in favor of our beautiful waterfront. I use it all the time. Again, I have an eight-year-old, and we are always down there going for walks. Uh, When he found out there were otters there, we're now there every other week trying to find the otters. We haven't found them yet, uh, but I'm hoping that one day we will (laughs) soon. Thank you, Mark. Giovanni. So yeah,
1: thanks, Aldo. Um, I've been talking about that, the riverfront there. There's not even a single picnic table. From the Burt Weeks fountain all the way to Walker road there's benches, but there 's no picnic tables so if we invest get the private sector to pay for picnic tables, they can advertise on them I'm not a fan of uh, of chip trucks because I think they compete with the BIAs and businesses that are already established. If we want to put like an ice cream uh, an ice cream parlor like they have at dF gardens that'd be nice right uh, that idea that uh that um Jake just mentioned about the little facility on the water, that, that'd be kind of neat. But I, I don't want to see all sorts of craziness going on down there. But the idea of picnic tables, it, it allows people to go down there. Like I mentioned earlier, about well, people that might live in apartment buildings that don't have access to, to patios or, or, or um, backyards, they may want to have picnics down there. And if we allow advertising by the private sector, say the BIAs advertise the restaurants there, families might be down there and see the advertisement on the picnic table and they decide, hey, let's order a pizza or let's order a meal and stay downtown and related to the aspect of there's no art on art that east side of the the riverfront that's something we should do as well continue that art walk as well as maybe the picnic tables having the big metal umbrellas over and they can create you know we do art they paint these umbrellas with different kind of art like you see on the uh, electrical panels and, and cable panels around town maybe we, you know create a whole uh, new art uh, fund or grant And and then we get, again, it's all about active communities with more picnic tables. There's more people down there, make safer communities, less vandalism, less crime. But again, keep it low key. I don't like the idea of the streetcar going down at the river. I don't know why they wouldn't have put that by the art gallery maybe and then attract more people closer to downtown and maybe raise money for the art gallery at the same time as they try and raise money for the streetcar. Mike cardinal was talking about that's a historic site that they're covering up with the streetcar. So I don't know. There's so many decisions that go on that I think need to be rethought. And an auditor general would help some of these rethinking when we see the kind of money we're wasting on these uh, overpriced plans. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for putting more picnic tables, but not a lot of uh, no-chip trucks, in my opinion. Though
0: You guys are getting really good at this. It's like you have a, a clock inside your head. Any more questions? I know TJ has a question. Any more questions? Oh, there's one over here.
11: A couple of reasons I came down here tonight. I'm a resident of South Walkerville, but uh, I've also been uh, in in city government for over 20-some years, and I was in construction for 30-some years. I worked, uh, like this problem Steve brought up about the voids under the roads and that there's sewers well over 100 years old all over this city. There's all kinds of things that need to be done, and a a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and a 20-year plan to get to these jobs and things to replace them and that have some continuity between uh, different councils and fix areas that require it. You notice when you, know, you build a new street, and put sidewalks, and, and everything in it, everybody fixes up their place. I having to go... Uh, when I worked for the city of Windsor, I was sent to a winter conference in Indianapolis, and uh, I talked to the people there, and they had a tremendous problem with their downtown area. The first thing they did is they put up all the garbage. They have people there seven days a week. It's as neat as a pin through the whole city. And that they've had a mall come down, revitalize the whole city. And that we need a plan that we can wrap our heads around it. Every every election, it seems like a whole different thing thing of uh, menu comes up. So let's get focused on what we're going to do and how our money goes there and then spend it that way. And also, I uh, promised my wife I'd bring this up. Downtown, the lighting is terrible. Absolutely, absolutely terrible. It looks like the uh, Batman movie when Gotham City, you look down the streets at night. It's too dark. The landscaping is very poor, and you've got to fill the... You, you give some rent or tax breaks to these people that are trying to rent these buildings out to get some people downtown. You, if you put people in and people are on the streets... I went to Asheville, uh, Tennessee, and uh, they had people walking everywhere. They had music everywhere. They had uh, families and going through the thing because there's something there to do. You got to have peaceful places that people can stop into and do stuff. Restaurants, the more so, of them you got, the more competition you got, but the more people come to them.
0: Excuse me, is there a question?
11: Well, not really. I wanted to make a point, <laughs> to be honest. It. And, and it's that, a good point. I, well, no, I, I just like, the, for, for your consideration anyway, but uh, Indianapolis was a uh Fantastic how clean the city was and how revitalized it got because they cleaned the garbage up.
0: Thank you very much.
4: You know, part, part of that, you know, he, he did mention downtown and um, the key to downtown and making downtown successful. Again, yes, we do need, you know, a 20, 30 year plan, which is exactly what Detroit has done, right? And now they're working towards something. Uh, we're also lucky enough to, to have someone. Uh, his name is matt woods and he actually helped with the development of um of all around little caesar's arena in district detroit and he actually lives in windsor and owns four businesses in walkerville and uh and is a very knowledgeable guy and and an amazing city planner but again uh for downtown you know again yes we do need a plan and we need to start getting residents living back down there uh you know the hive was just recently built people are starting to move in there they're building another building right next to that at the old windsor music cafe So we are going to start getting more residents moving down there, Um, but that's, you know, until we have residents living down there, we're not going to get all those businesses, but slowly but surely, it's a long-term plan. It's not going to happen overnight, and I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, It's going to take time, and it's going to take uh, effort from the city and investment from the city, Uh, but if we can get residents living down there, businesses will follow. Uh, Smoke's Poutinery, I know, which is a big chain (laughs) around, you know, Canada, Canada. And they've even announced they're moving in. So if we can start getting, not that I'm all about chains, but Starbucks is moving back down there as well. And that will start driving investment downtown again. Um, And then, you know, downtown hopefully can thrive again as well. You know, as we get more residents and more investment from businesses, but we got to keep our taxes low as well to start getting people to move back into the city. I'm a a realtor. And uh, I have a lot of clients who say, I don't want to live in Windsor because it's too expensive. The crime is too high. Downtown sucks. Pardon my French, but you know, uh, so we have to make this city attractive to those people and we got to keep our taxes low. Uh, we got to make downtown safe and our neighborhoods safe, and we got to start investing in our neighborhoods to try to get these people to move back into Windsor.
0: Thank you.
1: Do you want to comment? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the idea of uh, getting more people downtown. I, again, we spoke, spoke about COVID. I think now that COVID's stalled, it's kind of finished here. We're going to get more action downtown. There's going to be more university students. We see developments. We see Jeanette and Riverside getting apartments. Um, my idea of you know getting advertising on. My uh, Stop. But, no, no, uh,
0: I had it running for Mark, and I forgot.
1: Sorry. We we talk about. Uh, I was talking about the revenue by getting advertising on our amenities like splash pads, dog parks, picnic tables. That that's revenue we can keep getting in. We're talking about lighting. So over the years, we get that revenue. Maybe we get the money towards lighting more washrooms down at the river. That um, all those, that money that keeps coming in through park investments, we just put it back into parks. We get safer parks, and, and again with the downtown, I think that just the aspect of more people going down there when the schools start again full force and we need more police police on bicycles why don't you know i i want to do the same thing we get two unmarked police cars we get uh bike racks on those police cars and then the police go around the town other down at the river all the different parks hop on the bikes whether they're e-bikes or regular bikes zip around the parks a little bit then go through the communities do downtown do south walkerville do forest glade it gets more you know makes the community a little safer. Maybe they catch some people in a, uh, doing some nefarious things, right, they're unmarked police cars and on bicycles. What criminal's gonna think those are police? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that'll help get the crime, clean up the downtown, as well as bring in revenue and add amenities.
0: Thank you. We have one last question, I believe.
4: Um, I'm TJ Bondi. Uh, I have a question about how you're going to approach the budget philosophically when budget time comes around. City tax dollars are not indexed to inflation. Um, and historically, we've kept our tax increases below the number of inflation. Um, we're seeing record inflation around 9%. Um, and so when it comes to budget time, there's a lot of big ticket items that are in these plans, like Windsor Works or the, active trans- or, um, the transit master plan. What is your philosophy? Things are going to cost more in, in the operating and the capital budget. How are you going to tweak your, the budget moving forward because of the high inflation that we're seeing?
0: Thank you. Jake would like to go first.
4: Yeah, I would.
7: I, I love the question, TJ. Thanks. And the reason I wanted to start is because I I, I have had a, a number of, of uh, taxation questions at the door. And I think we need to do a little bit of education. I think a lot of people assume that because the value of their property is going up, their taxes will go up. And that's not actually how municipal taxation works. So it is budget-based financing. So if it costs $700 million to run the city this year, and next year it costs $702 million to run the city, for instance, just because your house doubled in value, doesn't mean you're the amount you're paying in taxes will go up. So it's it's really important for people to understand it because there are a lot of people very nervous because they see the cost of their home going up or the value of their home going up and they assume their the amount they're going to be t- paying in taxes will uh, replicate that that change in value and it won't it won't. So it's budget based financing. So how, how much are we um, uh, how much how many how many tax dollars are we using to operate the city? And so um, to TJ's question. When it comes to budgeting, uh, I'm not interested in significant tax increases. Inflation at nine percent, and and it's n- it's not just an inflation issue. But we're still having uh, there are a lot of people out of work. We have a, a you know a, a good number of people whose other bills are going up significantly. Cost of food, cost of gas, those things. So we are going to need to be cognizant of that. And if we need to see increases in taxes, we need to keep them well below the the, the inflation rate to one two percent in that range, something like that. But um, you would not be paying taxes. I think it's really important to know that based on the new value of your home. And, and so I, I've really been trying to, to help people understand that. And the other part of it is finding, ineffic- finding inefficiencies and better efficiencies in the budgeting process. So are we spending dollars on some things that aren't high priorities? Are we prioritizing correctly? Sometimes, you know, the city operates on what's called a 10-year capital, uh, bu- capital budget plan, 10-year capital financing plan. And each new year, council rearranges the priorities in that capital plan. And so we need to stick to keeping the priorities on an as-needed basis instead of picking and choosing projects um, to move them. And then the other – sorry. Thank you. Yeah, I could talk on this forever, yeah. It's after 9, and I'm trying to get
0: through
5: everyone, so. Okay, okay, thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, my uh, mayoral campaign – I – argued for a one percent tax increase the city's committed about 1.75 on average last three or four years so you know where i stand on the fiscal side uh on that but uh, just building on, on what's been said um you have to match community spending with community priorities it's as simple as that uh, sometimes we get off on tangents and we've been talking about this you know i talked about this in 2018 when i ran for mayor the pedestrian underpassed, you know 15 million dollars for that then we had uh some adventure bay issues there are some costs there we had some issues on the streetcar with some other issues we need to focus on the priorities of you and match spending accordingly <clears throat> thank you
0: thank you matt <clears throat> you may as well go down the line mark
4: yeah sure um i i will say this straight up i am the only candidate who has committed to to keeping tax increases as close to zero as possible. And I know there is absolutely a fine line with keeping taxes as close to zero uh, while also being able to offer those key services and amenities to, to city residents. Um, but we need to just, we, you know, we need to increase our tax base, right? People are just scraping to get by uh, right now. Inflation is at an all time high. As everybody knows, we're paying more at the gas pumps and the grocery stores. Uh, now is not the time to be raising taxes. I have spoken to thousands of residents. And uh, they all have told me the same thing. I'm barely getting by. I can't afford a tax increase. Uh, Please tell me you're not going to raise taxes. And I said, I will do my best not to raise taxes. I mean, I've successfully managed multi-million dollar budgets for some of the largest media corporations in this country. And, uh, you know, I'm very familiar with maintaining large budgets and balancing that line of being successful, um, you know, while also being fiscally responsible. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they they go hand in hand, right? Right. it's a lot easier to, to pay your bills as you go. Um, as anybody knows, you know, you can't rack up debt because sooner or later you're going to have to pay that. And it comes with high interest rates. Uh, so, you know, I am in favor of the pay-as-you-go system, uh, you know, and getting a proper return on your investments. But we've got to make my life more affordable for everybody. Unemployment in Windsor is hovering uh, right around 7.5%. Uh, So again, we got to just create more jobs and that's by bringing investment here, by keeping our taxes low. We got the battery plant coming here. Uh, We have Amazon, Um, Windsor Assembly Plant and Ford are both, they both announced, you know, that they're going to be going back to three shifts. Windsor Assembly Plant's going to have a couple new products as well. So investment is coming and we're going to have an increased tax base as well uh, to hopefully offset, uh, you know, having to raise taxes and then even finding ways to, to better spend our money and, and to attra- you know to pay for things like bright lights. For example, uh, you know, get corporate sponsorships for things like bright lights and open streets so that way it's not uh, coming at the expense of, of tax dollars. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Giovanni.
1: Yeah, so those are some of the things I've been talking about, the sponsorships and uh, you know, donations and, and finding money through parks. I can save money. Uh, and it's about priorities as well. But I think I can bring in revenue. I have ideas of bringing in the hemp industry. We talk about the EV plant. No one's talking about the hemp industry, which can bring in more jobs, create fabrics for the automotive sector, for convertible tops, for seating, uh, biodegradable oils. We can create plastics, expand that into you know medicinals, beauty products, uh, pet food, recreational products. So that's a whole new industry we can attract. Um, So the idea of the sponsorships would save money on in the parks department, which we can then allocate those funds into other departments and it brings in revenue from advertising. Again, like Mark was saying, sponsorship from different events and other things we have in the community just continues to bring in revenue and it saves tax dollars. Um, and people are struggling. We can't be raising taxes. I have, I already spoke to two families in South Walkerville that lost their homes recently. And they're moving because they can't. The interest w- rates went up, and they paid so much for their homes. Now they can't afford to live there anymore. So this is going to be an upcoming disaster in the next couple of years. So we need, as a municipality, to at least save people those expenses with interest rates, gas prices, utilities. Everything's going up. So if we can hold the line on taxes and find ways to bring in revenue, then uh, it's all the better for the community. And again, like we. Ha- That's okay. That's all good.
0: (laughs) I was ready to say thank you, gentlemen. So I think we're finished with the questions from the audience. I'd like to give you each 30 seconds to summarize. I think you've you've already done the...
7: Well, I think you've heard everything, but In 30 seconds, you you know, I I would... Vote for me because I'm bringing the experience it takes to get done, what we need to get done down there. Um, uh, many of our ideas and proposals are the same. Um, I, I have uh, the know-how at City Hall and the experience to be able to get this stuff done for us. And, and I have a deep, deep passion for this ward. I've volunteered in it and around it forever. I, um, and, uh, and, and please go on the website and check com. There's a huge amount of new uh, platform information on there with specific deliverables like a boulevard bylaw and a tree protection bylaw and, you know, a number of the things residents are asking for that we can get back to fairly easily. This is low-lying fruit and simple things to make people's lives better, more affordable, happier, better streets, better neighborhoods.
2: Thank you.
5: Matt. I'll I'll, I'll just take 40 seconds. I want to take the first 10 seconds to thank my colleagues up here. It's been, you know, we've been working, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks, I would say, to say the least, and I want to thank them for, you know, being very cordial uh, there's a there's a parent in the audience who was uh, very gracious to me uh, when I campaigned. Um, I won't say his name unless he gives permission to, but uh, it was actually Mark's dad. Uh, I knocked on his door, and uh, the experience at Mark's house was 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 great. I mean, so hats off to you, Mr. McKenzie, and you have a nice son here, and I'm sure we'll be talking next week. But uh, in terms of of, of tonight. Um, no one has my level of experience. No one has my level of proven success with respect to uh, leadership. I've got five awards from the Ontario Chamber. Served in the mayor's office for 12 years, ran for mayor in 2018. A lot of my platforms have been adopted by city council, uh, and I wasn't even elected. So if you elect me, we can get even more done. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Matt.
2: Mark.
4: I've said from day one, I, I'm running to make people's lives better and more affordable. Uh, you know, I, I have fresh ideas. I think we need a fresh take on City Hall. We need a city councillor, again, who's going to get along with whoever's in the mayor's chair and whoever the fellow councillors are. Uh, I was the first candidate to talk about the future of the Med Hospital site and redevelopment for that so that way we don't end up with another Grace Hospital fiasco. Uh, I was the first candidate to talk about creating a BIA on DeCumsey Road uh, between Howard and Walker Road. Uh, I was the first candidate to talk about what's going on at, at uh, Memorial Park in South Walkerville. You know, the fire's being set there and the needle's being found at the park. And, uh, and I'm the only candidate promising to keep our tax increases as close to zero as possible so that way you can keep more money in your pocket to spend on things that matter, like rent and heating your home and feeding yourself, uh, you know, this year and your family and everything. So uh, feel free to visit my platform, votemark.ca. I've seen a lot of you at the doors, and uh, hopefully I can count on your vote on Monday. And uh, thanks to everybody for coming out, and thanks to everybody who put their name forward to run for City Council.
0: Thank you, Mark.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, thanks, Linda, for having this, and thanks, everyone, for coming out. It's very nice to see people uh, motivated and participating in the uh, process. Uh, I'm not a good public speaker, but uh, I I bring municipal experience from planning, waste management, uh, recreation, active transportation, public transportation. Um, So... uh, you know, I, I'm not a politician, I'm, I'm not a big uh, promiser. Um, I, I have ideas, new ideas, would like bring revenue and sponsorships to save tax money, as well as bring in new jobs. I like to see the hemp industry here. I'd love to see commuter rail come here. We have all sorts of potential. If the hospital was built by the Serbian center, we could have had commuter rail and taken so many cars off the road, a whole new investment strategy. Um, I, you know, um, th- that's all I can say. I'll be open and transparent. I'll have ward meetings. People can come, uh, the accessibility all the time, a 24-7 phone number that people can get a hold of me. and We can discuss the issues. I want to represent the residents of uh, Ward 4 and Windsor. I think we're missing out on a lot of uh, op- economic diversification opportunities. We're planning for the 1950s, and we need to move ahead with 21st century green ideas, walkable communities, and more amenities, and help uh, young people, young and old alike, to be able to have vibrant lives and make Windsor succeed. And thanks to all you guys for being awesome, too. Honestly, all eight candidates have been wonderful so far, but uh, I appreciate everyone coming out. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Giovanni. <laughs> We've got some great candidates here. I'm glad I don't live in the word and have to make a decision. <laughs> and I'm not glad I don't live in the word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway.
4: Oh, we Please. should tell people I'm not related to Linda either, by the way. Yeah, it's N-A-C-M-C. So I don't want to, you know, people.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's wrong? No. Um, please do feel free to stick around and mingle and ask some questions. Um, and thank you very much for coming. And tell everyone you know to get out there and vote on Monday. Please. Have a good evening.